Revelation chapter 1. I hope this goes well. I just wrote this stuff down last night. And I was planning on uh, preaching something else. Actually, I read that uh, that missionary letter to you. And I seen that verse of Scripture up there. And I kind of liked it. So I've been looking at that uh, uh, verse of Scripture there for all week. To talk about it tonight. But then I, I seen this last night. And the Lord kind of uh, spoke to my heart about talking about this thing. And this is... Oh, this is a holy picture that this chapter paints here. If you turn around one day and saw the Lord, <laughs> you would uh, you would uh, you would definitely uh, be moved by it. You would definitely be affected by it. So I want to preach to you tonight about the Son, the Spirit, the seven churches, and the seven preachers. And uh, this verse, this chapter talks about seven angels, and those angels are the seven preachers. There's no no question about that. There's there's seven preachers, there's seven messengers. When you see the word angel in the Bible, it either means appearance or messenger. One of the two. Don't mean anything else. Appearance or messenger. And therefore, when you see sometimes in the Bible, you see the angel of the Lord. You may be talking about a manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that little word of is tricky, ain't it? <laughs> the love of God. Does that mean God loves you or does that mean you love God? God has love. It can go either way. That that little word of, you have to make sure you get your, your reading and your understanding correctly on some things. But anyway, talking about the love of God, it could be talking about God's love toward you or your love towards God. But anyway, angel of the Lord, sometimes it's an angel that belongs to God and sometimes it's an appearance of the Lord. And so you're going to come across those things in your Bible sometime from time to time. But when he talks about these angels here in the Bible, he talks about angels as messengers. He talks about angels as appearances and so forth. And so uh, when the uh, when the Bible talks in, in those terms, you'll, you'll know about where you're at as far as the Scripture is concerned. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about the Son and the Spirit and seven churches and seven preachers. And I hope I'll get through all this. If not, then we'll just knock off early. The, Hopefully, if the Lord don't come back, hopefully the Lord does come back, but hopefully we'll be able to meet here again if the Lord don't return. But we're going to leave that up to the grace of God. Let's read uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. You understand all them churches right there. Most of the time when you hear about those churches taught in the Bible, you hear them taught as a, as a church that represents a time frame inside of the church age. And we're ending up in the Laodicean church, which where we, where we are now. But all these churches was literal physical churches that existed in the day that John was writing here. And so he said, and, and they're all in Asia, of course. But anyway, he says, so write to them. And, and so he says, unto the uh, uh, seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. If you can find a map that lists all these towns, uh, then you see that they're pretty close together. And uh, But anyway, verse 12, he says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven 
golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for your goodness. I pray you'd help me to preach a little while. God, I'm not fully settled on what to say, but God, I know you'll give me that which I need to say. Lord, I pray you'd help me, dear God. I've I've read the scripture, dear God, and, and Lord, I believe you have a definite message here for us tonight, dear God. I pray you'd fill my mouth. I pray you'd help me, dear God, stabilize my heart, calm my nerves. I pray you'd open the ears of these folks that are here, dear God, present. And I pray, dear God, you'd take us each one by faith into a holy place tonight, dear God. We'll see things as we've never seen it before, God. Only you can do that, God. I believe in my heart you can do miracles with the truth. And God, you've taken man and uh, you've taken clay and made man out of it. Lord, you spit on the ground and, and made blinded eyes to see. God, you can do miracles with physical things. And I know without a shadow of a doubt you can take the truth of the Word of God and do miracles in our heart with it. And I thank you, dear God, for what you do. Thank you for what you've done for us this morning. Lord, there's a lot of folks that's out tonight from this morning. God, I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd deal with hearts, dear God. Some are sick and, and some are out, dear God. I pray you'd help. Have mercy on us, dear God, and help us. God, deal with our hearts and touch our hearts here tonight. And we'll thank you, dear God, for what you do. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right, look back up in verse 9. I want to go through these things verse by verse here and just look at a few things that I saw. It said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you first of all to see this, and I wasn't really thinking about this last night. Boy, I tell you what, last night was something else. I, I came in here and prayed a little while and was looking over some sermon stuff for this morning. And God began to show me some stuff. I don't even know how I ended up in the book of Revelation. But I ended up writing down a sermon. Then I seen another something. And I wrote down something else. And before long, I'd done spent way too long in here. And then I, I had a little word of prayer again. And I kept hearing my dog out there barking. I say, man, my, that, that dog is going after something. He'll shut up in a few minutes, and he never does that. So I stepped there, out there just a few minutes later, and I said, hey, shut up. <laughs> It'll sound like I'm talking to some of you. But, but anyway, I said, and, and he shut up for a minute, and usually he never barks again when I tell him to shut up. Well, a few minutes later, he started barking again. So I took my flashlight, and I thought, well, maybe he got a snake or something cornered up around there. So I went out there, and he was barking at the lawnmower. I said, dog, you better not be stupid enough to be barking at that stupid lawnmower. I'll beat you over the head with a shovel. <laughs> Hopefully no animal lovers heard that. <laughs> but anyway, I took me a flashlight, and I shined it under that, under that lawnmower, and there was a possum under there. 
And boy, I said, oh, we're fixing to have some fun. I, I pulled that lawnmower out of gear and slid it back, and that little thing took off, and, and I took off after it. <laughs> and so I got to running around. You know, last night was I was chasing Scripture, and then I went to chasing the possums. I couldn't wait to tell the girls about it this morning. But anyway, I chased him off in the woods. I chased him over here, and I was afraid the cat would get him. And I, if I was going to eat the possum, that would be one thing, but thank God for food line. Amen. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that still available to eat besides possums and uh, I'm not saying look one of the things that I've determined not to eat is muskrat them folks up in Delaware eat muskrat and they got plenty of money I don't understand why they'd want to eat muskrat and I've made my mind up I'm not going to eat nothing in it that's got the word rat in it I'm just not going to do it and but listen I'm going to be reasonable about the thing if the Lord had made me eat it I'd eat it but I'm not looking to eat no coon, so I didn't kill him. I just chased him off. And you know that little thing was just a little baby anyway, but I was chasing him down towards the woods, and he turned around and hissed at me. <laughs> he turned around and said, I said, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, so I just shoot him off into the woods, and he ran on out there, made him upset, I'm sure. But anyway, I got went in there and laid down. I woke Ruth up and told her about it, and then I got to thinking, well, what if he come out of those woods over there? I run him off to the wrong spot. Poor little old uh, possum lost its mommy or something like that. But anyway, I, can't, I kept him from the cat's mouth. That's, that's a good thing anyway. But last, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of night I had last night. But I wasn't thinking along these lines, but I've seen this just a little bit ago. You know, John, you know, John was kind of, you know, it takes all kinds of people to make a world, right? Sometimes you, I mean, because it takes all kinds of people to make a world, it's also going to take all kinds of preachers. Some of them super nice. Y'all don't have one of them. Actually, y'all do. I'm one of the nicest preachers you know. You just don't know it yet. Uh, But it takes nice ones. It takes mean ones. It takes stern ones. Not necessarily mean, but just straight talking and bold. You know, we, we call preachers that are straight, we call them mean, but they're not being mean. If they was being mean, they'd be robbing you. And they'd be talking nice and sweet and hugging your neck and... And walking out the back door with the offering or something like that and fooling around with, you know, half the women in the church. That's, that's mean. That's mean. <laughs> you know, so I'm not really being mean to you, but it takes all kinds. It takes nice ones. And it takes straightforward ones. And it takes encouraging ones. And, and stuff like that. And we're all, no matter what, what type we are, no matter what people say our personality is, we're charged with preaching the whole Counsel of God. Amen. You know, I've heard preachers say, it's my job to defend the King James Bible. No, it's not. It's your job to preach the gospel. And one of the best Bible teachers that I know of is Dr. Ruckman. And he says his job is to defend the King James Bible. No, it's not. His job is to preach the gospel. That's, the, that's anybody's job. That's, if you're a preacher, that's your job. To preach the gospel. And But look here, I want you to look at John. Don't you know that John... <laughs> John, have you read First John and Second John and Third John? It's good stuff. It's encouraging stuff. He wouldn't hit James jump up on the pulpit and say, "You're the wickedest, vilest thing there ever was." Ain't that the way James was? Simon Peter was a little bit of both ways. Paul the apostle would go into a meeting of the preachers and he'd point his finger in their face and say, "You're to be blamed." But not Paul. I mean, not John. John was a nice guy. John was the guy that stood next to Jesus and just listened. He wasn't too assertive. He wasn't a big mouth uh, like most preachers are. He just John, real encouraging. You read the book of John, you get assurance of your salvation. That's encouraging to me. 
I want you to look where John ended up. Preacher, you can get better results if you'd be nicer. Oh, John got exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Just as nice as he could be. Just as encouraged as he can be. Listen, it don't matter if you're nice or mean, rich or poor, high society or low society preacher. That don't matter. You stand on Jesus Christ's side and you're going to get some trouble for it. You're going to get some tribulation for it. And I said all that to say this. It don't just go to preachers. There's only one or two folks here tonight that's called to preach. It goes for everybody. If you're going to take Jesus Christ's side, you're going to suffer for it. You can't do right and get get away with it. You just can't do it. And so he said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion. You know what we need? We need some brothers and companions. The folks sitting in this building right here, and and really, actually, we're going to get into some more of this stuff later. The folks sitting in the building across the street and across town, they're not your enemies either. We need brothers and companions. Ain't we got enough enemies? Listen, if I got an enemy, it's going to be the fellow that runs the alcoholic beverage control store. It's going to be the liquor store owner. It's going to be the fellow that's peddling pornography to the TV stations and to the internet stations. That's the guy that's my enemy. And I'll just tell you right now, I hate their words. I hate what they stand for. If I've got an enemy, which I don't know that I've got too many enemies. I know some people that are upset with me. But I mean, as far as people that I hate or people that I don't like, I don't know too many people like that. But I don't know many of them fellas by their first name either. I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to go uptown and rub elbows with the rich guys just because they got money. If they run the liquor store, they sell liquor. They're, they're my enemy. I'd love to catch the feller uh, at the liquor store, at the at the grocery store that owns the grocery store one day. I own this establishment. Oh, you do? Well, let me talk to you about the liquor cabinet back there. You need to get that out. I wish they'd separate that stuff. Uh, them Yankees, we can talk bad about them all if we want to, but them ones in Delaware, they won't allow you to sell alcohol in the same store where you buy food at. That's good. I'm sure there's a loophole there somewhere where they're making money that way. But I think it's good. I think little old ladies and little old men, when they go to the grocery store to buy meat for their family and food for their family, I don't think they ought to be, I don't think they ought to be tempted to buy a Budweiser. That's just the way I think about it. That's the way I see it. But you know what we need? I mean, we've made enemies out of the church, folks. And I'll tell you exactly where it comes from. It comes from independence. (laughs) <laughs> We're afraid somebody's going to hurt our independence. Now, I'm an independent Baptist preacher. That's what I am. And I suppose, unless God give me the ability to do something about it, I suppose that'll be what I am uh, till the day I die, I suppose. I suppose. But w- listen, independence was a thing when they come out with it. It was for a good reason. But I think they should have got back together and figured something else out. Southern Baptist Church was a good church and it went downhill, went downhill. Like everything else, things are going to start out well and go into apostasy. That's, that's the trend of the ages. You go all the way back to the garden. Started well, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Ended up there as on their way out. Well, this independent thing, man, I look around now, I see all these independent Baptist preachers. Some of them ain't worth shooting, let alone letting in the pulpit. Yeah. And there ought to be some control about that. Things would be better about that. And then another thing besides that, you come in, decide somebody going to decide they're going to roll over Independent Baptist Church. What could you do about it? Nothing. You just have to get rolled over. Because we've separated ourselves from everybody else in the world. You go attack the Catholic Church. Try to roll over them. You go try to roll over the Southern Baptist Church. You try to go roll over the Church of God. 
You ain't going to do it. You say, why? Because they're unified. All of them. Somebody come to roll over people at the Baptist church, we'd put up our dukes and fight, wouldn't we? But we'd get rolled over pretty quick. Don't have, don't have the resources. Unity is something else. You say, what is it? It's brethren. Yeah. It's brethren. And when every independent Baptist church is, is jealous of one another and every independent Baptist preacher is jealous of one another, it don't go for unity. It don't make brethren. It makes enemies. Yeah. It makes enemies. i tell you what, up to about a year or so ago, uh, I could go to any church or any place around here, independent Baptist Bible-believing church, they was glad to receive me. Glad to. Not anymore. They won't even hard talk to me no more. You say, what is that? I don't know. Foolishness. Foolishness. Uh, jealousy and foolishness and all kinds of stuff. And you say, what is it? It's not being a brethren. This fellow across the street come in here, Southern Baptist preacher, he don't even carry a King James Bible. When he come in over there, I walked over there and knocked on his door. Hey, my name's Brother Mike. I just wanted to come over here and say hey to you. Welcome you to the community. And uh, we've been getting along. You say, why is that? Because I desire to have brethren, not enemies. Amen. Not enemies. You say, well, he doesn't carry a King James Bible. I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on that. And I'll tell you what, you know, that's an, that was an encouragement to him. It certainly was. And you know, you say, Brother Mike, it's useless. Having a brother in Christ is never useless. Amen. You know, that church was almost dead. It's still pretty close, but... You know what happened since that brother's come in there? They had the little bouncy ball thing going on and put away the hymn books. And their youth department was meeting over in the side building. They wouldn't even attend in preaching. He said, Brother Mike, what do you think I ought to do? And I, he didn't tell me what was going on nothing. I said, well, I can't tell you what to do, but I know what we do. We sing out of the hymn books. We get the youth involved. We try to stir them up. I said, we preach old-fashioned sermons out of the King James Version. And the next thing I know, we had people leaving over there. That, he said, they, he made the youth department come in and listen to preaching. <laughs> you say, what is that? I was a brother to him. You say, you're pulling your own rope, Brother Mike. No, I, I'm not bragging about nothing. I'm just telling you, I was a friend to him and a brother to him. Whether he got the right Bible or not, that stuff's beside the point. That's just beside now. There'll come a time when we'll have a talk about that. We'll have to take a stand either way. But as far as, but that church is a better church now. Because he's had a brother. And willing to tell him the right thing to go. The right way to go. I could go over there and burn him at the stake. <laughs> New American Standard Version? Oh, we've got to burn you at the stake. No, you don't have to burn people at the stake. You don't have to get mad over that stuff. No, sir. No, sir. You only have to get mad over stuff when you can't do nothing about it. i got a Bible that's more powerful than any NIV on earth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You don't have to get mad and upset about things. We're about to get to the point anyway. I wish there was about 75 preachers here tonight. This is a sermon, really, that, that preachers need to hear. But I'll tell you what y'all can do. Y'all can get on fire for God and start witnessing. This thing will do y'all some good. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get on with it because I ain't making no time tonight. He said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion. Boy, that talks to me about friendship right there. Not about hating one another. Not about looking down on other people because they don't dress exactly the same way. And listen, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to have to convince me. I believe in dressing right. I believe in doing right things. I believe in having convictions. I believe in doing things the right way. But how did you get your convictions? 
How did you get yours? How did I get mine? I wasn't born with the conviction of no, you know, no contemporary music. I wasn't born with that. I like rock and roll. You hear me? I like rock and roll music. I just don't listen to it. I like country music. Yeah, sure. That sounds good to me. I don't listen to it though. It'll ruin you. It'll wreck you. Absolutely. You know, there's not a lot of people be that honest. But that stuff appeals to the flesh. <laughs> Country boy can survive. Yes, sir. It makes me want to go buy a four-wheel drive and run up and down the hollers and shoot stuff. <laughs> Don't it you? Sure. That stuff was made with a purpose. It was made for you to like. Wasn't made. The dentist office was made for you not to like. Country music and such was made for you to like. And it appeals to the flesh. Sure, I like it, but I ain't going to listen to it because it will get the power over you. Get the victory over you. Yeah. Yes, sir. And a lot of these churches and stuff around here, uh, they got all this contemporary music because their service is dead as hell. That's right. Yeah. And they've got to have something to pick it up. And so they've, they've come up with a, a plan to get life back in the churches, which is that kind of life I don't want no part of. You know, people with venereal diseases alive, but <laughs> how much of that do you want a part of? I don't want no part of that. Amen. Well, listen. They got this newfound life in their church. But I don't want that. I want the real stuff. Amen. I want the real stuff. I want the power of God. So, and I wasn't born with that conviction. I like rock music and all that stuff. I wouldn't mind, you know. Uh, you know, you hear these people get up and you sing this quiet, or not always quiet, but most of the time it's solemn praise towards God. It doesn't appeal to the flesh. You'd like to hear all that stuff, you know, thrown in there on top of it. Your flesh would. But if you've got a heart that's dealing with God, you don't want no part of that. No, sir, you want to do it the right way. You think I was born with that? No, sir. I got that from somebody else. I got that from a preacher that come before me and a preacher that come before him and a preacher that come on before him. And I planned on handing that off to some of you. And if you don't take it willingly, I'm going to cram it down your throat. <laughs> I'm going to try to, I'm going to do my best to make sure you get it. You say, why? Because your next generation has to depend on it. Hey, listen, all this stuff is killing churches left and right. They talk about it's life and adds life to the church, but you go in their church and everybody's dead at 4 o'clock. They don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't go out and do the things that, that ought to be done. And you go into a lot of churches. Listen, I'll just put it this way. You go into a lot of churches uh, that sing like we sing and have the music like we got and even preach kind of like we preach in here. And they stand up and testify about how much they love God and how much they love this and how much they love that. Yet they got country music in their cars and they got all that stuff in their life. It's not a holy life that they live in. They just got lip service. I want it to be more than lip service. I want to have the right convictions, but I want it to be real. You can talk about how much you love your church and how much you love your preaching, how much you love everything else. But I want to know how much do you love God and how much do you love His holiness and how much do you love His righteousness. And I believe that will take us a little bit further down the road if we never do get over 40. I'm looking for 500, but listen, I'd rather have the holiness of God than 40. I'm still looking for 500, though. You go get them, would you? Run them in here. Country boy can't survive. Use your shotgun if you got to. Get on in that church house. (laughs) Talk about shotgun weddings. Have some shotgun church meetings. You're coming to church with me whether you like it or not. (laughs) Uh, Why not? Why not? 
I, John, where did that come from? I do not know. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get nowhere near this uh, preaching this sermon, but we'll get it another time. But I will say this. Look at this. Look what this says. The kingdom and patience. He's not only a companion and a brother in tribulation. Don't it seem like we got plenty of that? Ain't there plenty of tribulation to go around? Man, it seems like every time you turn around you get one problem fixed and here's another. What Are you serious? Sometimes it makes you want to just grab somebody by the throat. You ever, you ever found any situation like that? I have. And, and it seems like trouble will move through the church just like a cold. You ever got a cold in your chest and the next day it was in your throat? You had a sore throat. The next day it was up here. You feel like your head weighs about 500 pounds and the next day it's right up in here. Oh, and your head hurts so bad and then the next day it's in the tip of your nose and you got 50,000 uh, tissues trying not to, uh, you know, soak the place down the front of your shirt all wet with snot. It moves from one part of the body and just goes, you know, that's the way church problems go. And you think, if it wasn't for tribulation, <laughs> if it keeps going like this, I'm going to have to choke somebody. <laughs> but you try not to do that. You try to have a little bit of patience. But look what he says. He said not only that, but he said the king, he said not only companion in tribulation, but the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. And you know what flashed out at me when I read that verse of scripture? The patience of Jesus Christ. You know how many times Jesus Christ ever went out and got a beer? Not once. You know how many times he ever got drunk on liquor? Not once. You know how many times he ever made his own? Not once. Not once. You reckon the Lord ever played a game of cards and gambled on it? No, He ain't never done that. Not one time. How many times you reckon the Lord ever cursed? Just slipped up. Reckon the Lord ever done that? No, sir. He ain't never done that. You reckon the Lord ever cheated somebody out of a dollar? Jesus Christ never done that one time. Didn't even think. Not only did he not slip up and do it, he never thought of it. The thought never crossed his mind. You ever catch yourself? I do. I catch myself every once in a while thinking. Smoke be rolling out of this ear here. And I'll be thinking about doing something wrong. And the Lord will say, you're so stupid. And I'll say, oh, oh yeah, you're right. And I'll go on, sorry. You better ask God to forgive you for your thoughts as well as your actions. Amen. Them thoughts got a way of turning into actions if you don't get them under the blood. Amen. But you know the Lord never, the Lord never done any of that stuff. Yet He had, listen, let me, let me, forget about Folkston. Folkston is bad town. You don't believe that, but Folkston got some wicked stuff going on in it. Amen. There's people in Folkston tonight that's practicing witchcraft, yeah. homosexuality, yeah. every vow, every, prostitution every vile thing you can think of goes on in folks now a hundred years ago in a small town there wouldn't be uh, quite so much of that there would be some but not quite so much but television has brought all this stuff into our living room so we got little country boys uh, that never had a dime and they're walking around yo yo homie yo and they never seen a, they never seen a city street before in their life and they're trying to be gangsters they don't even know how to be corn pickers, let alone gangsters. But the television's brought it into our living room, made idiots out of country people. But anyway, before the city folks was the fools, but now everybody gets involved in it. But if you talk about a little town like folks, and that, 
Let me take you by imagination for a few minutes to, to a city like New York or Atlanta, Georgia, where folks, listen, as many times as you can snap your thumb in this country tonight, listen, every time my thumb snaps, somebody is dying a violent death in this country. And you just snap your fingers all night and all day tomorrow, and it will, somebody's dying of an overdose of drugs that somebody peddled on the street. Somebody's dying because they got robbed for 10 or $15. Somebody's getting robbed or extorted. Somebody's getting hooked on dope. Somebody's getting hooked on heroin and dying of an overdose. Somebody's getting pulled over at an intersection and shot in the face for a wallet that might not have no money in it. Every second. And Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God just sitting there patiently. Every time one of those things takes place, it's not just a sin against a fellow man. It's a slap in the face of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. Every time one of those offenses takes place. And Christ could get up off His throne right now and come down and mash every man that transgressed against Him. But yet He sits there in patience. And he says, I died for him. Young fellow about 12 years old, take a needle full of heroin, stick it in his arm for the first time. And the Lord says, I died for him. When he'd be justified to get up off his throne and smash the dealer and the doer of such evil. The patience of Jesus Christ. The patience of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he desires the fruit, but he has long patience for it. Long patience for it. Why? Somebody else might get saved. I think about Galatians. I think about the book of Philippians chapter 1, I believe it is. It might be Galatians chapter 1, where he talks about the furtherance of the gospel. The love and the mercy of Jesus Christ has a little bit further to go. Yet if somebody offends us in one point, they're guilty of the whole law. You offend me in one point, now you're guilty. I hate you, I'm your enemy for life. Well, we ought not be that way. John said, I'm your, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation, but not just in tribulation, but the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Listen, next time somebody offends you, just forget it. Just forget it. I mean, how many times have you offended Jesus Christ? And he said, he said I'll have mercy. I know there's been many a times in my life, Brother Curtis, where I've done despicable things and the Lord said, I'll forget it. I'll forget it. And it, some, in some cases, it's been 30 years before I actually got on my knees and confessed it and got it right. And the Lord had mercy on me and used me in spite of the things I'd done. The Lord has used me in spite of unconfessed sin. I'll grant you a lot of it was stupidity that I didn't realize was wrong. Did you know I've done things trying to serve God that was wrong? I didn't even know it was wrong. Then later on the Lord said, you see that? You're stupid. <laughs> and I say, well, thank you, Lord. I wouldn't have put it quite that bluntly. But <laughs> but the Lord said, look how I had mercy on you. And how patient the Lord must be to deal with me. To wake up every day. Listen, God don't sleep, but I sleep. I wake up every day and there's Christ still dealing with me. Even as stupid as I am and as foolish as I am. My goodness. John is my brother in the patience of Christ. Now somebody says something wrong and I, I can feel the fires burning. 
I can feel the anger creeping up in the back of my neck. I can feel the hairs raising up on the back of my neck because things make me angry. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night when we was confessing our faults one to another, didn't we? We talked about that a little bit, that little pride that wells up in us. I feel that thing coming up and Christ said, I, I'd just forget about it if I was you. Well, you don't know what He's done to me. And the Lord says, Points out those nail scars in his hand. I said, okay, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. They nailed him to the cross. and They mocked him and made fun of him. They pulled out his beard smote him on the jaw while he had his blindfold on and said, prophesy and tell us which one. The Bible don't say answer. The Bible. In fact, the Bible says, and Isaiah opened not his mouth. But I wish when one of them would have smote him on the thing and said, prophesy who it was. He said, your name is... Uh, John Wilson, you live at 641 uh, Factory Street in Rome, Italy. You're here on assignment and you'll be here for six months. <laughs> you know, he could have done that. We talked about that this morning. He knew, he knows that he knew Zacchaeus' place of employment and what his bank account number was. He knew all that stuff, didn't he? Yeah. They mocked him and made fun of him, reviled him, and put a robe on his bloody back. Boy, have you ever pulled a band-aid? Oh, for a little scratch, you know, we get these flesh wounds and we think we're mortally injured. <laughs> I'm really suffering. We get, have you ever pulled a band-aid off and it kind of sticks? Oh! They put that robe on the back of Jesus Christ after they had made the furrows in His back. You know, that stuck to Him when they jerked it off. That just added to His pain. They mocked Him and reviled Him and then hung Him on the cross. And while He's hanging there, He says, Father, forgive Him. They don't know what they're doing. When can we get that attitude about other Baptists and other folks around town? They don't know what they're doing. Those people out there shooting that dope, they don't know what they're doing. They think they're having a good time. The folks that are taking God's holy service and they're turning it into a, a, a fiasco. I started to say a fiesta. <laughs> That's about what it is too. They turn it into a fiasco and making a mockery. This is a holy meeting whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not, this is a place, this is a time for holy, holiness and sanctity. And you're in one of the last places in the country that has services like we have. You're in one of the last places on earth that does it the old time way. Sometimes it gets high and sometimes it's solemn. You're in one of the last places. But all over the world, all over the world tonight, they're making a blasphemy, they're making a mockery, and Christ just sits there. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they'll get it. It's okay. It's okay. Now listen, he's not justifying sin, but he's having patience with us day after day. When are we going to get to the place where we can look around at our brother, our fellow man that we can look at in the eyeball and say, Oh, he's failed again. I better I better not speak with him no more. I better not associate with him no more. Man, if God used the judgment that we just Oh my goodness. But you better be you better be mindful of this one thing. The Lord said, "With what judgment you judge, it'll be meted out to you. It's coming right back." Boy, that makes me tremble when I think of the folks that I've refused to speak to, refused to talk to, because they didn't think exactly the way I thought. Did you know? Let me say this, and I'll quit. Got nowhere near the message tonight, but that's okay. Let me say this, and I'll quit. Did you know 
That all these people we look at and say, he's doing that wrong. And I'm not talking about backing off of convictions. I'm talking about having compassion on people and praying for them and be a friend to them and help them become what God showed you. But did you know after all the people that you look at and they've got this wrong and they've got that wrong and they've got this wrong and they've got that wrong, do you know you've got just as many things wrong with you? Man, their failures and their shortcomings, even in scriptural matters, are not less than your shortcomings. But when we get to the point where, oh, I can't talk to him no more. He don't think quite like me. You've become a judge of one of God's people and you've cut yourself off from the blessing. Because just like you've got problems like they've got problems, they also can be a blessing just like you can be a blessing. And if God will use you in spite of your troubles, God will also use them in spite of theirs. Man, you talk about a glorious day when God showed me that. Because a ton of bitterness. You can ask my wife. She lives with me. I can be very angry about stupid things. Well, he's not doing that, right? Go get my M16. That's the way we feel about it. We're militant, you know. Ain't that what we say? Militant. I don't know if I've ever called myself a militant fundamentalist. But that's what most people call themselves today. Militant fundamentalist. Well, what you fighting for, stupid? Are you fighting for the furtherance of the gospel? Or are you fighting to prove you the greatest Christian on earth? I think some of this militant stuff is just to prove you the best Christian on earth. It's not to further the gospel. And listen, I can tell you one thing right now. We are going to fail as a church if we do not further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about going out and showing what a wonderful church we got. Sure, we got some of the nicest people in this town that goes to church right here and from surrounding places. I couldn't think of nicer folks. Of course, I don't know many more folks than that. But listen, who cares how nice our people are? Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins. That's what we're to further. That's more important than get together once a month and eating. And I love that. Especially the dodgeball and Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't those fun times? Sure it is. But that's not the point. The point is Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we've been put here to go out and give other people that's just as bad as we are the same hope. The same hope. That's my challenge to you tonight. Try to find the patience of Jesus Christ. All the tribulation, I'm not looking for tribulation. That's going to come, though. You just get on God's side. You can be just as encouraging as old John. You're going to wind up with tribulation anyway. Because it's not you they hate, it's Christ they hate. It's Christ they hate. But I love Him. I love Him. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's been so patient with me and so good to me. And every time I failed and made a fool of myself, he picked me up and said, It ain't as bad as it looks. <laughs> Brush me off and send me on down the road and let me have another chance. I love him for that. He wants to do that for your aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and nephews and nieces. He wants to do the same people. He wants to do the same thing for the people that live right next door to you. Too many times they look at us and we see our disgusted face. I'm disgusted. I'm sure the Lord was disgusted with this world too, but yet He died for it. Give His life for it.
Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for your goodness. Lord, that not even, not even close to the sermon I had on paper, dear God, but I believe with all my heart, dear God, that this is a message that your Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, the Comforter, would have for us tonight. God, I pray you'd make it real in the hearts and lives of the people. Oh, God, I pray you'd help us to do business with you tonight. Help us, dear God, to get rid of the bitter and the anger and the foolishness, dear God, that's in our heart. Help us, dear God, to take a stand for convictions. Help us to take a stand for what's right. Help us to stand up for the good and stand up for the holy, dear God. But help us, dear God, to extend a hand, dear God, to a lost and dying world. Not only to a lost and dying world, but to a church that's choking on its own high-mindedness. God, help us to that end. Pray you'd help us. Deal with us, oh God, is my prayer. While you got your heads bowed, Brother Mike, you come. Brother Mike, find that, find, that, find that song you had this morning, just as I am. And let's sing it one more time. Tonight, would you come to this altar and say, God, help me. God, help me to further the gospel. God, help me to do what I've got to do in order to bring somebody else up out of the ditch. I like that book in the book of Psalms, chapter 40. He said he brought me up also out of a miry pit. Boy, don't you remember when God brought you up out of the miry pit? God wants to do the same thing for those around you. Would you come tonight? And say, God, help me to further the gospel. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest come to Listen, I'm glad he took me just as I came, but I'm glad he didn't leave me that way. He made it.